everybody. It is great to see you here this morning. You know, sometimes we need, they call them life hacks. It's like some secret kind of insider knowledge about how to live life. We need a life hack this past week. How many of you already put away uh, your winter clothes? Yeah, we had to pull them all back out again, didn't we? I came across a bunch of these little life hacks, okay? I want to share a few of them with you. Did you know that Doritos are great for kindling if you can't find any wood? They actually do work. You know, just do that. Here's another one. Almost finished with your jar of Nutella, end it with ice cream. Mmm, that's a good idea. Okay, here's another one. Kids fall out of bed all the time. One fitted sheet plus the pool noodle underneath it. It'll just keep them in there, all right? See, where we go? Keep going. Uh, does your dorm smell bad? Hmm. Tape a dryer sheet over the AC unit and turn it on. Please. And take a shower every once in a while. Okay. Um, here's another one. Uh, you know those hotel curtains that never totally close? Here's a hack. You take the, the hanger out and you use those clips to, t- to close it tightly. You get it? Thank you, Pastor Quentin. Thank you very much. All right. Here we go. Um, you know, so, so the other day, our daughter Maria actually gave a life hack to us. She came in this a few weeks ago, and she says, guys, have you ever considered kind of in your family room, they're kind of rotating, like kind of completely reorienting the direction of the room. There'll be more room, and it'll just be more light. And so I said, well, let's give it a try. And sure enough, she did. And there's the awesome Ruth Steve. And the, the room is just all lit up. Of course, it's lit up because Ruth is there, but also because of this reorienting the room around. So great life hack. And today, I would like to do that together in the book of Proverbs, to help us to light up our lives. To, to I'm calling this live right where you live. So live right where you live, and also live right where you live, okay? So we are gonna take a little journey today, uh, starting with uh, our household that we we are are living in, and then gradually, let me show it to you, we're gradually gonna kinda wind out to a greater and greater circle. So we start your household, where you live, and then out to your neighbors and to your community. And finally, we're gonna end Proverbs chapter 14 with the entire nation and how we can live right where we live so we can have influence and in ourselves experience God's goodness in our households, in our, with our neighbors and community, and with our nation, all right? So that's where we're going, Proverbs chapter 14. And we're going to begin at verse one. And when we do these things, when we follow these, these life hacks, if you will, these wisdom steps, uh, we're glorifying God, we're, we're honoring Jesus, we're reflecting the gospel, we're showing people uh, his goodness in this world and we're living it ourselves. Okay, here's the first one. Begins in an unusual way. Uh, it says, every wise woman builds her house but a foolish one tears it down with her own hands. Uh, Unusual in the book of Proverbs is that unlike most of the ancient world, the book of Proverbs has a very elevated and respectful and high view of the impact that women make in our world. In fact, we'll get to the end of the book, an entire chapter is devoted to how women can bring incredible blessing. This one says, every wise woman built her house. It views this woman, this lady wisdom, if you will, or this woman, she's really making an impact. She's building her house. She's, she's, She's having great influence 
influence here. And, and, and this woman is doing a great job with, with, uh, with that. But then there's another one who is foolishly tearing it down with her own hands. Instead of building up her household, the people, the neighborhood, the community, she, with her own hand, is taking a sledgehammer to it and just destroying everything around her. And what Proverbs is teaching us here, the first principle is, you, you want to live right where you live? And that is, choose to be a builder, Choose to be a builder. Be, be one that builds and doesn't destroy. Because today, this week, you're going to have some opportunities. You're going to have some opportunities, and you're going to have a choice of whether you're going to choose to be a builder or a destroyer. Are you, going in this situation, going to encourage and bring wisdom and instruction and goodness? Or are you going to bring criticism, unhelpfulness, bad attitudes, whatever it might be? Man or woman, child, doesn't matter. You're going to have a choice. Are you going to invest in this person, time and energy? Or are you going to ignore them and neglect them, maybe a child at home? Are you going to choose to love well the people around you? Or are you going to sow seeds of discord and unhappiness? I guarantee you this week you're going to walk into some situations and you're going to have a choice. Am I going to be a builder or am I going to be a destroyer? The wise woman builds her house. Don't be a foolish person, all right? Uh, psychologists finally caught up with Solomon, and they came up with some terms for this. The negativity bias, this is when there's all this good stuff happening in our lives, and then this one lad, bad little thing, and we, we go and say, why is life so unfair? You know, we just choose to look, there's the glass not even half full. It's mostly half empty. It's mostly empty. It's like we cannot see reason for gratitude and goodness and, and appreciation and love. And, and so let's turn that around. Another, another way that we do this is what psychologists call uh, fundamental attribution error, which is a fancy way of saying that we judge everyone else on character but blame our shortcomings on the situation. Here's, when, here's what, what happens. Is, uh, I'll give you an example. So somebody is late for a meeting. And we say they're late for a meeting because they're lazy. They didn't think ahead. There's something wrong with them. Then I'm late for a meeting. And the reason I'm late is because of bad traffic. See how that works? So I attribute my faults and shortcomings to the situation I'm in. But when I see other people doing the same thing or having the same problems or whatever, I attribute to them to their character or their temperament or their personality. You're a builder when you show grace to yourself and to others, and then you're a destroyer when you just hammer at them. So be careful about this. St. Francis had a great prayer. Um, he prayed this, uh, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Choose to be a builder this week, all right? Let's go on. Verse four. Where there are no oxen, the feeding trough is empty, but an abundant harvest comes through the strength of an ox. Now, how many of you here have you know, a lot of knowledge and experience about you know, raising oxen. You know, just you have, you take, yeah, not, not, ne neither do I. I have nothing. What is this talking about? Why is this in the Bible? 
You know, why is that important? And, and the, it's, it's really giving an example and then applying it to all of life. And here's what happens. Um, there are, what this passage is saying is there are pros and cons to owning an ox. All right? And the pro, the positives of owning an ox is you can get a whole lot more work done. If you have to go out in the ancient world with, before tractors and all this, you have to go out and just by yourself take a hoe, a shovel, and break up the soil and plant all this. It's going to take forever. You're not going to get hardly anything done. When you have an ox or oxen, you get a lot more done. It's amazing. That's the positive side of it. The negative side of it is you got to, yeah, the, 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 um, the negative side is that you got to clean up after it. You, you, you got to buy it. You got to take care of it. You got to feed it. So this verse is saying when there are no oxen, the feeding trough is empty. It's like, well, that was easy. I don't have to do anything. I don't have any oxen, so I got life easy. I just put the, push the easy button. But you're never going to give a harvest if you don't have an ox, an oxen, to help you do it. So what is this all about? Let me give you the second principle right up front. And that is, in order to, to, to really live right where you live, you're going to have to embrace the mess that's in your situations. You see... The question is, do I want a harvest? Do I want good outcomes? Um, this ox example, you know, maybe we should use a car example for, for us. It makes it, helps us understand. You know, I like owning a car. How many of you like owning a car? Yeah, you, own, you have a car, great, I love it. Um, and the, you get everywhere, you can go fast, and you know, you're not waiting around at bus stops and so forth and all that kind of stuff. And you can get pretty much where you wanna go. The problem with owning a car is you gotta buy it, insure it, wash it, repair it, on and on and on and on and on. So there's a hassle involved. But by and large, you weigh it out, and unless you live in a place that has incredible public transportation, you embrace the mess of owning a car because by far it's worth it to do so. Going purely on foot or on a bicycle isn't so great, especially if you live in Iowa. Um, so um, on the whole, you say it's worth it. You embrace the mess. But what Proverbs is trying to do is say, get, do this in all of life. Think about this in all of life. Let me give you some examples. Are you going to just say, I just want my life to be neat and tidy and clean and push the easy button all the time? If I do that, if I just lean it out, you're going to find it's lifeless and sterile and not much is happening and not much progress is made. Or you can say, my life, I choose to embrace the messiness, the hassle, it's complicated, but I'm gonna get positive results, love, a harvest of joy and goodness, a lot of great things. Let me give you some examples. First one, marriage. Here we go. The bride and groom, they meet at the altar in front of the pastor, right? Here I am. And I'm gonna get a commitment up front, right? Do you take him or her to be your husband or wife, right? For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others to be faithful to her or him as long as you both shall live. Now, some people could look at that and say, Pastor, why are you talking about all this negative stuff in this happy day? I mean, look, you're talking about for worse, sickness, poor, poverty. Why? Because I know life, I know it's coming. You're going to have times like that. You're going to have hard times. And you need to, I'm asking you, are you embracing the mess right up front? Are you really all in? 
That's what it takes in a marriage. And that's what he's saying. You can have your easy button and don't have any of those messes. But if you enter into this marriage, you're going to have messes. But you're also going to have delivered to you all sorts of joy and goodness and love. The possibility of all of those things if you come into that. And so many of the hardships of life and marriage that people have gone through is because one or the other person was unwilling to unselfishly embrace the mess. So embrace the mess. We do this with kids. I had a friend of mine, he had seven kids, and he said this about kids. And I don't necessarily agree with the percentages he applied to these, but I'll tell what he said. He said, children are 50% hassle and 50% joy. But you can't get that kind of joy out of anything else, so you have to embrace the 50% hassle. Now, we might tweak the, uh, the percentages there a little bit. Maybe some days it feels like a whole lot more hassle. Then maybe some days it feels like a whole lot more joy. I don't know. But it's true. It's true. Children, there are a lot of messes involved with children. And I'm not just talking about babies. I'm talking about all ages. And you never stop being a dad or a mom, no matter how old your kids are. So are we willing to say, yeah, I embrace the mess. This is what comes with it. This is what it is. This is part of my journey. And I'm all in, through thick and thin. Friendships are like this. The workplace is like this. Churches are like this. Community are like this. Paul says it this way. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So maybe you're going through some mess right now. Or maybe you will in the near future. Remember, to get to the other side of that, you're going to have to embrace the mess that's there. Deal with that and then get to the other side of the harvest that is to come. Okay, keep going. Here's another one. The sensible person's wisdom is to consider his way, but the stupidity of fools deceives them. This passage, this verse, is talking, it, it is a contrast between a person who is what I will call self-aware versus a person who is self-deceived. The self-aware person says, I'm going to think about my life. I'm going to consider my way. I'm going to look at my life. I'm going to know who I am, what my strengths are, what my gifts are, what my abilities are. Also, I'm going to be able to face off what my weaknesses are, what my shortcomings are, where do I struggle, what triggers me. All these different things, we're going to learn those things about ourselves. We consider the life that we're living. And then we also say, how's my life going? Where am I headed with this? How am I living my life? Am I walking with God? Consider your way. You know, this is so important. It is, it is the opposite is to be self-deceived, to, to, be deceive our, to deceive ourselves and not think about this. Someone that says the easiest person to deceive is yourself. Because we can tell ourselves stories that are not true about us and eventually deceive ourselves and blame it on other things and not really handling the things that I need to handle in my own life. Um, it takes humility and times of reflection to really consider our ways. One ancient wise wisdom writer said, the unexamined life is not worth living. The prophet Haggai in the Old Testament said, give careful thought 
to your ways. Think about the direction of your life. Where are you headed with this? Are you following Jesus? Are you walking with God? So that's one part. That's a self-awareness for being self-deceived. But then the passage goes on even deeper into more emotional life in our our hearts. The heart knows its own bitterness and no outsider shares in its joy. What is this really saying, this passage? Actually, this passage, this verse is one of my favorite verses in the whole book of Proverbs. The heart knows its own bitterness and no outsider shares its joy. What this means is that everybody's got a story. Everybody has got bitterness in their lives and everybody's got joy in their lives. And guess what? No one, there's, there's sometimes in some of those heartbreaks and in some of those joys, nobody else can really understand what you went through because they're not you. An outsider doesn't get it. You had to be there and they weren't there and they weren't you. But you know what it felt like to have that heartbreak. Only you and the Lord. You know what it felt like the day your child was born. No one else really can. You alone experienced that. No one else could could feel the grief that you felt over that loss that you had. They, they, They try to be sympathetic, and they are. They're good friends, but they don't really understand because they're not you. So everybody's got a story and a journey that they're on. And, and, and we understand that about ourselves. The, 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 the growth and wisdom is when we understand that that's not just true about me. That's true about everybody I meet. Everybody's got a story to tell. And when I begin to understand that, that you've got a story and you've gone on a journey and, in, and sometimes you're going through a hard time and sometimes you're on top of the world and, and that's just what life is about. And the more deeply I understand that, the better it is. Everybody has a story. In fact, I, I've shared this before, but there was one Hollywood actor in a moment of wisdom. She said, you know, I believe that every person's life, if their story is told well, would make for a great movie. Every person has enough action and comedy and drama and suspense and so forth to make a great movie. Verse 13 takes it even deeper. Even in laughter, a heart may be sad and joy may end in grief. Sometimes you look out at people and you see them and you think they got it all together. Their lives are perfect. They're, they're, they're wonder, everything's just wonderful with them. But you don't know what may be happening in their hearts. The grief that, yeah, they're, they're having a good time. They're partying. They're, they're, life's good. But you don't know what's going on in the heart. You don't know what's going on behind closed doors. You don't know. I don't know. And so we just, when we grow in understanding that oftentimes there's more than meets the eye to people then we really grow in wisdom. By the way, if you're thinking, here's the, here's the, here's the principle, let me give it to you. It's, it's we need to grow in emotional intelligence. Um, emotional intelligence. In the 1990s, an author named Daniel Goleman, he was a psychologist, he finally caught up with what Solomon wrote 3,000 years before. He published a book about this, and it was a New York Times bestseller. It was called Emotional Intelligence. And he argued in this book that oftentimes success in, in, in marriage and family and in business and in, in, in career oftentimes depends more on your EQ, that is your emotional intelligence, than your IQ, your raw smarts. What 
he said there's two scales to this. We have, he says, two brains, two minds, and two different kinds of intelligence. We have rational facts, data, and then we have emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is important. Jesus himself expressed emotions. You can remember times Jesus' heart went out, he says. He, he, he was filled with compassion, moved with compassion when he saw the crowds, crowds because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. On other occasions, he was, he was angry at them, uh, at the religious leaders who had so uh, confused the people and, 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 and really messed with the pure truth of God's word. And had taken advantage of people. And he was, had a righteous anger against that. And then there was a sorrow that he felt. At the tomb of Lazarus, he wept uh, over Jerusalem, seeing the destruction that was to come to Jerusalem. He, 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 he wept over Jerusalem. He was filled with sorrow. So Jesus had both this rational side, but also an emotional side. God, Jesus has this. And we do too. And the more deeply we understand this about ourselves, and about people, to grow in emotional intelligence and be able to empathize with other people and what they're going through and what they're experiencing themselves. The more that we're able to enter into that, to be aware of it, the wiser we will live and we can truly live right where we live. This will be an incredible blessing if you can grow in your emotional intelligence to every relationship you have, to every friendship you have, every workplace, every single area is going to be better if you say, I want to grow and ask the Lord to help you grow in that emotional intelligence. Let's keep going. Verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. So they're looking at this situation and they're saying, yeah, that, that'll probably work. That, that seems right. That's a good idea. And it's not a good idea. Others can look on and say, that's not a good idea. Got a few examples for you. Here's one. This guy's hauling this refrigerator. And, you know, he's hanging on to the back of this motorcycle and with a little cart there with his gigantic refrigerator squeezed. He has this bar between him and the refrigerator. I mean, what could possibly go wrong, right? You with me? I mean, this is disaster, right? Here's another one. Um, yeah, this guy's on a ladder, this plank. It's kind of precariously propped up with these bricks, I guess, or cinder blocks with another ladder that's kind of perched up against the wall. Does that look like a good idea? No, it does not. It seemed right. And then here's one. Uh, yeah, let's just, let's just plug in the extension cord into the pool and run our music or whatever. Like this is, that there is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. These are very bad ideas, right? But it happens in real life uh, too, not just these you know, really unusual ones, probably staged. Um, and, and like, you know, how many of you know about Oregon Trail? You know, the Oregon Trail. I, and I'm not talking about the video game. I'm talking about the actual Oregon Trail. And when they went out west, the pioneers, the covered wagons, they went out there. And guess what happened? A lot of them, and the video game reflects this, a lot of them got sick, died, went, lots of bad things happened. And some very bad things happened because it seemed right, it sounded right, but it was wrong. There's a very famous story about the Donner Party. The Donner Party read a pamphlet somewhere that said, and they were on their way to, on the Oregon Trail out west, and they read this and they said, oh, here's a shortcut. 
No one had ever really confirmed that shortcut, but they took the advice of an unknown author of a pamphlet and they risked their lives and they went on this shortcut and guess what? Every single member of the Donner Party perished because it seemed right to them. But in the end, it's the way to death. And there are all sorts of worldviews in our world, isms, beliefs. And to a lot of people, they seem right. But if they're not leading to Jesus Christ, it's the wrong direction. It's the way to death. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So as we follow Jesus, we're able to discern the difference between something that seems right and something that is actually right. The problem is, verse 15, the inexperienced one believes anything. But the sensible one watches his steps. Somebody who's younger or maybe who doesn't have much experience or who's not really grown in wisdom, they, they, they believe anything they're told. They're gullible. They're naive. They don't think it through. They don't think about the consequences of what could happen when you take these, uh, make these decisions and take these steps. This is why we need wisdom. The sensible one watches his steps. The person with a little bit of life experience, a little bit of wisdom gained along the way, watches where they're going. They said, I'm not going to make that same mistake. That's not wise. That's foolish. That's sinful. That's not in accordance with what Jesus taught me. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not what the word of God teaches. And they reject those things. They consider them carefully. So here's the fourth principle. We want to develop deeper discernment. So on the one hand, the last principle was we grow in emotional intelligence and understand feelings and have empathy for people. But on the other hand, we also need to maintain a rational thought. We need to maintain wise thought that lives according and walks according to the ways of Jesus in the scriptures. Because a lot of things we may come across may seem like a good idea. Upon their first presentation, wow, that sounds so good. But then when you really step back and consider it all and you put it in the big spectrum of the word of God, it actually is not true. In fact, it may be lead to the way of death. There was a time in America when millions of people thought it was a really grand idea to enslave millions of other people because of their skin color. We look back on that and say, what an evil, abhorrent, terrible thing. It seemed right to some people at the time, but it was just deadly and eventuated in a civil war. We've come a long way from those days, but let's not deceive ourselves about that area or about a lot of other areas of life. Sometimes we think, well, we're, we're modern people. We, we understand now. We've got it all together. We understand how life works. But, you know, C.S. Lewis, writer, British writer from uh, half a century ago, said uh, that we struggle with what he called chronological snobbery. And what he meant by this is because we're further along in history, we're think, we think we're way wiser and way smarter than people were back then. But the reality is every generation struggles with some issues. Every generation struggles with issues, makes decisions. And we will look back on our, our days today that we're living in, and they will look back on ours and say, what were they thinking? They will. 
And humility says, if that's what's gonna happen, then maybe I ought to examine my life more closely and what I actually believe about these things. Are they the way of Jesus? Are they in accordance with the word of God? Which by the way, heaven and earth will pass away. His word will never pass away. Jesus said that. Things may change, but what Jesus has taught will stand the test of all eternity. And so we need to be careful about ignoring ancient boundary stones, Proverbs calls them. We need to be careful about uh, circumventing or or denying things that the church has believed and taught for 2,000 years. We major on the majors here at Valley Church, but that doesn't mean only that we don't, you know, emphasize secondary issues. It means that we really believe what the scriptures teach on major issues. And we have all sorts of things that happen in our culture where we need to develop biblical thinking skills about them, issues and trends that we see in life, and we need to weigh them and discern them carefully. So there's all sorts of ones, and this is kind of going in all different directions, but I'll mention a few. An an entitlement mentality, a a, a quick-to-polarize mentality, uh, easily angered, racism, hatefulness, greed, shallowness, fear overtaking us, uh, redefining what life is, redefining what marriage is, uh, bending our sexual ethics to contemporary tastes, anxiety, pride, disrespect toward people, not loving all people and neighbors, a casual attitude toward sex, becoming easily offended, pessimistic, prayerless, unhappy, porn-vasive, it's just everywhere. Addictions, abuse. There are so many issues that are not grounded in scripture. And it's not just one side or the other side, this isn't a right or left issue, it's all sorts of issues that we really need to ground and say what has what, is, what do scriptures teach and what is the Bible taught and what did Jesus teach and what is the church affirmed and taught for 2,000 years and not align it with our you know, current thinking or our particular political party or persuasion. There's wrong on left and right and in between and everything. We need to be careful about this. So develop discernment, both emotional intelligence and deeper discernment. Okay, keep going. Verse 20, here's another one. A poor person is hated even by his neighbor, but there are many who love the rich. This is not stating this as a good, this is stating as reality. Is that poor people, a lot of times, they just get hated on by people. And meanwhile, rich people, they have lots of friends. Why? Because we can get something from them. In other words, we tend to, unfortunately, use people and love things. Instead, we should use things and love people. And God loves all people. He calls us to love all people. And he also calls us to love the poor, to remember the poor. This is a part of Solomon's wisdom to us. The one who despises his neighbor sins. It's wrong to hate people. Just hate your neighbor. You should, even if you disagree with them, even if they're diametrically opposed to your values, you can find some way, not that you accept them or agree with them, but that you can show kindness and grace to them. And then whoever shows kindness to the poor, he specifically elevates the poor and he says, kindness to the poor will be happy. He says, there's some people in this world who are poor through no fault of their own 
And there's a special blessing for people who go out of their way to be generous to people who are going through hard times. He says, remember the poor. Here's the fifth principle. Excel in kindness. Oh, excuse me, I forgot this one. The one who oppresses the poor person insults his maker. In other words, when we oppress them, when we take advantage of them, we're actually insulting God because he made them in his own image and likeness. On the other hand, the one who is kind to the needy honors the Lord, honors God. So we should excel. If you want to live right where you live, excel in kindness and in generosity. We love our neighbors. We love our community. We love even our enemies. You know, this uh, June 4th, Sunday night, we're going to have a Good for All night, next installment, and it's going to be great. We have two, particularly two speakers I want to highlight this morning. One of them is a guy named Carlos Whitaker. And in this little clip I'm going to show you, he encourages us, like Philip did in the book of Acts, to get into the chariot of the, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, who was somebody very different than he was, but he shared the good news of Jesus with him. And, and check what out what Carlos says. When you get inside someone's chariot that doesn't look like you, think like you, vote like you, talk like you, believe like you, love like you, all those things, that doesn't mean you're turning your back on your values. It means you're turning your heart towards them. That's the most important thing I want us to get from this, is we are all called to get inside the chariot. Lena Abjamara is another one of our speakers. And she talks about pursuing happiness and wanting to be happy, but also wanting other people to experience that. Check out what she says. To be happy, don't you? That's why we're here. And in turn, I want to impact the world around me, not because I'm so strong, but because I have a savior who is risen from the dead, who has promised us eternity in heaven with him. It's going to be amazing. So get signed up for that. You go to goodforall2023.com and you can sign up and, and, and get ready for that incredible conference. Uh, so love your neighbor, love your community. Uh, and then remember the poor. There are so many ways that Valley Church endeavors to love the people in need, the underserved and the unserved in our community. I'll just mention a few of them. First one I want to mention is, is our, our, our Global Greens Farm. Uh, it's getting started again. It's spring in Iowa, I think. Anyway, um, so that's starting up again. And we, uh, we are able to partner with LSI and partner with former refugees from places like Nepal, Rwanda, Bhutan, Burundi, Myanmar. All told, it, it, it is an encouragement and a blessing to about 250 uh, former refugees. Uh, and that happens every year here at Valley Church. We have a farmer's market here uh, on many Sundays during the summertime and harvest time. Uh, it's just a beautiful thing. It supplements their food source, but also supplements their income because they're able to sell what they produce here. And it's been an incredible partnership. Um, we, we do things like single parent provision. We partner with that ministry to be able to help people who are single parents who are going through some challenges. Um, we have a... a, a, a um, a special fund, it's called the K Fund. The K stands for Koinonia. This fund, people generously give to this fund, so we're able to help out people who are going through financial hardships or difficulties in our own church, in our own community, and in our, with our ministry partners. So as you give to that K Fund, you make a huge difference. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars are given out uh, each year to be able to bless the people in our community. Uh, you know, I came across a, um, one of our members this week posted 
about generosity. And I just happened to be, see his post and I thought it was awesome. I'm not going to shit share who it was, but he said this, be generous, be generous with time, with money, and most importantly with grace. These verses from Proverbs are s- such a good reminder. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Curses on those who drive such a hard bargain. Blessings on all who play fair and square. That's from the message translation. And he says, if you're wondering why your circle is shrinking and or you don't seem to be getting anywhere with your finances, consider this verse. Stop being stingy. Start being more generous. Stop trying to negotiate or strong arm everything. Trust the Lord to bless you by blessing others. And if you're trying to hoard money for yourself, remember that a closed hand, can I grab a blessing? Can't receive that blessing with a closed hand. And he ends with just saying, be generous. Good words here. I wanna give you two very specific ways that are coming up that you can live out the verses we just looked at and excel in kindness and generosity. The first one is Love You Des Moines Days. Coming up in June 10th through 18th. Volunteer for that. You got that on your worship handout there. Volunteer. We need hundreds of volunteers and we bless our community for nine days in amazing ways. I think there's over 300 different free activities and ways that we can bless our community. So get uh, connected to those. Uh, Another one is actually next Sunday. From time to time at Valley Church, we'll have a special opportunity for people to be generous. It is the fifth Sunday, April the uh, 30th is the fifth Sunday. Those don't come up, but once a quarter. And on this fifth Sunday, we're going to emphasize a couple of things. One, if you'd like to maybe catch up on your generosity, uh, maybe uh, you've forgotten or just not remembered to be generous uh, to the Lord's work here through Valley Church. It's an opportunity. We're going to do that next Sunday. And then also to our K Fund, an over and above gift uh, goes to our K Fund to help those in need in our community and our ministry partners. So check that out and be praying for that this week. Okay, verse 26, next one. In the fear of the Lord, one has a strong confidence and his children have a refuge. Do you want to live right where you live? Do you want to bless your family? Then by all means, pursue the fear of the Lord. Remember what we said about what the fear of the Lord is? The fear of the Lord is not a cringing terror of God. It's not a wimpy cowardice, afraid of attempting anything in our lives. Rather, it is taking God seriously by consistently saying yes to him. Taking God seriously by consistently saying yes to him. And remember, we had a little acronym that we used. I'll just refresh your memory on this one uh, because you might have forgotten it. F-E-A-R, the fear of the Lord. What does it mean? Simply, for every area, every area, respect. Respect for God. That's what the fear of the Lord is all about. And so you, if you want to bless your children, I know you do. The best thing that you can do for them is to give them a foundation in their faith in Jesus. Give them every spiritual advantage they can get. It's tough living in culture. It's tough going to school. But if you can give to them every spiritual advantage in the home, in the community, Take advantage of the things that are offered through Valley Church to bless them as much as you possibly can so they might fear the Lord, take God seriously, and consistently say yes to him. That is the most fantastic, firmest foundation for their lives that you can ever, ever imagine. Jesus is the rock. He is the cornerstone. So Proverbs we're learning is not just merely self-help tools. It's not just pithy, inspirational quotes, but it is an entire way to approach your life 
It is to find the center of your life in Christ. It is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And it means to reorient our entire way of thinking and living with a faith relationship in Jesus as the foundation. Verse 27 says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. If you really want to see your life blessed, take God seriously and say yes to him. For your children, teach them to do so. Turning people away from the snares of death, it may literally save your life. And it certainly will impact your eternal life as you trust in Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus was crucified, he didn't die there on the cross alone. He was, had, a, had a thief or a criminal on either side, right? And they were insulting him, but then one of them came to their senses and turned to the other criminal and said to him something very interesting. Because he, that other one kept insulting Jesus. And what he said was, and I quote, Don't you fear God? We're getting what our sins deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus, with that man's admission of his guilt, repentance really, and then trusting that Jesus is a king, even though he's being crucified, he knows who he is, he understands that. He says, remember me in your kingdom. And upon that profession of faith and that repentance, Jesus turns to him and says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was the fear of the Lord that was a fountain of life to him that day. It turned him. Death was about to overtake him physically, but he could have died spiritually forever. But he placed his faith in Jesus Christ that moment. And that, my friend, is an opportunity for every single person here to simply, in simple faith, saying, you know what, I've done wrong. I admit it. You know, I've sinned, but I want to trust in Jesus. Jesus, I trust what you did on the cross for me. I believe that you'll be raised from the dead and your kingdom is coming again. You're coming again. And he will say to you today, you can know the promise of eternity. You can know that you will be in paradise forever with me. It's incredible. It is the fountain of life, everlasting life. So build your confidence. Here's the sixth principle. Build your confidence in Christ as the surest refuge for you, your children, our community. And finally, our nation. Finally, it comes to the influence and impact that fearing the Lord and following God can have on an entire community, even an entire nation. Verse 34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. The seventh and last principle I'm going to give to you, and that is simply to align with God. If you want to live right where you live, if you want to live right where you live, align your life with God. Everything, all your beliefs, all your thinking, your actions, your attitudes, everything, align them with God. Righteousness is, is living right with God, walking with God. And so he says, live, align your entire life with God and what he is. This is amazing, and it lifts you up. It actually says, exalts a nation. Did you know that? So in other words, to the degree that I can align my life with God, and you can, and you can, and everyone here can align their lives with God, 
And the more and more people in our community align their lives with God, and the more and more people across our nation who align themselves with God, with his word, with Jesus and walk with Jesus, the more that's going to bless people, the more that's going to exalt a nation. It's going to lift us up is what that means. It lifts them up out of the mire, out of the conflict, out of the hostility, out of the fears. It lifts them up. Aligning our lives with God lifts up a nation. And so we pray that we might live our lives in such a way that we would be a blessing to our community, that we would be a blessing to our nation and to our neighbors. And we also pray for our nation. We pray, oh God, could you bring renewal to the church of this nation? Could you bring awakening to this nation? Could you bring a spirit of renewal and revival so that more and more people could experience knowing you, loving you, worshiping you, following you? It'll lift us up. How we desperately need to pray that God would lift us up as a nation. And I'm not talking about self-righteousness. I'm talking about really living the Jesus life. He says, sin is a disgrace to any people. Sin is, disgra- is a disgrace. Rejecting God, rejecting his ways, it's devastating, it's degrading, it's destructive. destructive. It just takes people away. It takes us out when we do that, when we choose to do that. And it takes others out. So instead, we come back to this and say, let's, let's live in such a way and line our lives so that we might be other, those who lift up others, who lift up our community, lift up our nation, and may renewal and awakening spread to millions and millions of people. That's our prayer. That's what we want to be here at Valley Church. We want to make that difference. Are you with me? Are you hearing what I'm saying? You know, um, thinking about all these things this week, getting this message already, and then on Friday, I got news that my Uncle Jack passed away. My Uncle Jack, here he is. Let's picture, here's my Uncle Jack. When he was 17 years old, he had to get his dad's permission When he was 17 years old, he enlisted in the U.S. Navy, and he served on a ship in World War II. He's one of the, until Friday, one of the few remaining survivors of World War II. What an amazing life he lived. He was a simple man. I I spent a lot of time with him. Um, My mom was a single parent of seven kids. And so Uncle Jack from time to time would come in, sweep in, and he'd he'd take time with us. What a beautiful man he was. What a wonderful man he was. He was a simple person. He was very, very smart. He was a mechanical engineer by trade, but he was just a kind man. He had a simple Christian faith. And I can honestly say about my Uncle Jack, I honestly have nothing but good memories of Jack. Nothing but good. Don't you want to come to the end of your life and have somebody be able to say that about you? And you say, well, there's no way it could happen because I've already blown it so many times. Me too. But to be able to say in your life that you made a difference that you showed wisdom and grace and discernment. 
You bless those around you. You were a giving person. You were a generous person. Isn't that what you want of your life? It's what I want of my life. Jack uh, enlisted. He was born in 1926. He died on Friday, 97 years old. A long and good life. Father in heaven, we pray for these wisdom words to sink into our hearts. And our faith doesn't need to be complicated. It just needs to be genuine and real. I thank you for my Uncle Jack and that simple faith he had and the life that he lived. There is a reason why they called his generation the greatest generation. Because in many ways, not perfectly, but in many ways they exemplified the values, the things that we were talking about today. And they had their blind spots too, and so do we. So God, help us to see life clearly, to consider our ways, and to truly live for you in alignment with what you want for us so that we will be happy, as you promise, so we will be blessed. And so that we will glorify the great name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And everybody agreed and said, amen, amen.